Episode number 54, The Rise and Refusals to Test. Is COVID to blame for this? Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marty. The biggest communication problem we have is we don't listen to understand. We only listen to reply. Tony Robbins. Welcome to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. I'm your host, Chuck Marting. And this week, what we're talking about is the refusal to tests that are on the rise for FMCSA and drivers in 2020, what they saw, and what possibly is one of the leading causes for that, which is the pandemic of COVID-19 that we've seen across the country. On New Year's Day of this year, American Substance Abuse Professionals released a study that they did that has shown that a significant increase has occurred in the refusals to test with FMCSA drivers. They, they reported in this that 60% of this was from pre-employment refusals and that 44% came from the random refusals for the Department of Transportation Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration drug test violations. Wow. I imagine a lot of you have seen a large increase in that. We've not only seen it with our DOT safety sensitive drivers uh, and other areas of DOT, but we've also seen it in non-DOT as well. So this isn't very surprising because we started seeing this very early. And considering that we are going through a pandemic with COVID-19, the two are pretty much linked together with a lot of it. And I'll explain that here in just a second. But in 2020, American Substance Abuse Professionals reported that they had seen a dramatic shift in the landscape of drug and alcohol testing violations for the Department of Transportation, specifically for Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And with that increase, they saw 40% violations just in the first quarter alone. Now, they contributed the beginning of this to the FMCSA clearinghouse that kicked off during that quarter. But then in the second quarter, they saw a significant slump as a random testing was down because of the disruption in the drug and alcohol testing chain because of the pandemic. Now, later on during the year, and at the year end, however, the most intriguing part of the statistics that they saw was the significant increase in the refusals to test, which was at 60% for pre-employment and 44% for random, which we reported at the beginning of this podcast. Now, there's a report that was put out by Baptist Health South Florida, and in that report, it was entitled Survey Alcohol and Drug Use Increases During COVID-19 Pandemic, and that was put out in September of last year of 2020. But in that report, they reported that the coronavirus pandemic has affected millions of Americans who have suffered hardships over the past several months. Some have lost their jobs. Others are working from home while trying to balance not only their children's education, but also life in general. And as the quarantine has progressed, many are missing the normalcy that they've had in their life, such as social gatherings and other activities that they were involved in outside of the home. 
Now, mental health experts have been warning about the psychological effects that the pandemic may have on many of us that are Americans. The economic stress coupled with the anxiety, depression that can be brought about by being home alone could have a lasting impact on many people. Even some healthcare professionals are worried about these factors and that they may contribute to an increase in addiction to alcohol and other substances. Now, this makes a lot of sense, and it's something that we've heard from a lot of our employers that were continuing to work but having employees work from home. The concerns that they had of individuals not only abusing drugs but also alcohol as well. Now, in our state, the state of Colorado, our governor approved marijuana dispensaries staying open, viewing them as essential businesses. They even helped the marijuana dispensaries by having curbside services and then later home delivery where people were able to order and people were delivering it to the homes of individuals, which is just crazy in my opinion. But we're, we're seeing a whole different trend in this. But we also saw the same thing with alcohol sales where people were able to go and they were purchasing alcohol uh, much in the same way. Uh, but you were still able to go to the grocery store in most cases and be able to purchase alcohol. You could still get out and do those kind of things. But for the most part, people were having to stay home. The bars were closed. The restaurants were closed. And so they weren't able to socialize and go out and do those things that they normally would do. Now, part of this report was a study or a, a uh, survey that was done by the Recovery Village. And in that survey... They asked 1,000 Americans from ages 18 and older, and in the survey, they found that more commonly abused substances from respondents were alcohol at 88%, marijuana at 37%, prescription opioids at 15%, benzodiazepines such as Xanax was at 11%, prescription stimulants such as Adderall, 10%, and cocaine at 9%. And they reported that additionally, many of the respondents displayed higher rates of drug and alcohol use. Of those respondents, 55% reported an increase in the past month of alcohol consumption, with 18% reporting a significant increase. And yet 36% reported an increase in illicit drug use. And in those states that were hardest hit by the coronavirus, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, that 67% reported an increase in the past month with alcohol consumption, with 25% reporting a significant increase. Now, the participants were also asked why they were prompted to use these substances within the last month. And of those respondents, 53% were trying to cope with stress, 39% were trying to relieve boredom, 32% were trying to cope with mental health symptoms such as anxiety or depression. At the conclusion of this survey, Recovery Village stated that the results of the survey are concerning. Once people turn to drugs and alcohol, there's a concern that it can turn into a substance use disorder, which can sometimes come with co-occurring mental health disorders. The two main factors that really stood out to me in this survey was that 53% were trying to cope with stress, while 39% were trying to relieve boredom. Those were the two main reasons that people were abusing alcohol and drugs. You know, 32% were also reported as trying to cope with mental health symptoms such as anxiety or depression. 
Now, I know with our business, we saw a increase in individuals calling. There were owners of businesses asking for suggestion and advice on how to deal with this issue when people were working from home. Is an individual working from home conducting business for your company still under the umbrella of a drug-free workplace policy? It's a pretty good question. So the answer that we received on that, not only from DOT, but other industry leaders as far as how they were going to handle these type of situation, was that yes, an individual who is working from home during those hours of operation is still expected to abide by that company's drug and alcohol policies and procedures when performing their duties. So how do you enforce that? Well, we still needed to have people do their random drug testing. We had some companies that were not doing random drug testing, and that's because they were not required to do drug random drug testing. However, they can do them if it was in their drug and alcohol policies that they were able to do random drug testing. And we had many people that called us and they wanted these things done. Now, understand that we still would not respond to an individual's home to do drug testing. And there's there's quite a few reasons for not doing that and one obviously is your own safety you don't know what you're walking into uh, going to someone's home or what elements you're going to come and come across going into somebody's home to conduct a drug test on a company's behalf it's just it's just not a good idea to be doing that kind of stuff now second you could go to somebody's home and advise them that they need to submit to a drug screen if it was non-DOT, you could ask them to step outside the door and you could do a saliva test with them right outside the door, not ever entering into the home if they agree to come out. But what if the employee refuses to come out of the home? Is that a refusal to test? And that's a very fine line of making somebody leave their home to do a drug test if you're at their residence. Now, can you require them to come in to their place of work for a random test or to report for a random test. And that's going to depend on a couple things. You still are not able to have somebody go in when it is on their in their off time or their day off, but you can do it before their shift was supposed to start and at the end of their shift uh, for that for that position. So understand that when you're talking to clients and they're wanting a random test done for somebody who is staying at home and conducting business, make sure that these people have set hours that they're expected to be performing those duties for this company. And if you're doing the random testing within that time period, it is acceptable for you to have a random test done. Now, some people were a little confused about that, but if you think about it, what are we doing with some of our FMCSA uh, clients? If they are out on the road, how many times have you had these individuals stop at your facility to do a drug test because they're driving down the road and they're contacted by their employer and advised that they need to report for a drug and alcohol screening? It happens quite a bit. So what is the difference between having a driver who's driving down the highway go to a clinic to do a drug test when it's during their time of work, either before, during, or after their shift, and an individual who is at home due to COVID restrictions performing uh, 
duties for their company in the same sense. Now, of course, what we told these individuals as well, we gave them these examples, but we explained to them they should still get a hold of their counsel with their company, with their attorneys to make sure that what they have in their drug and alcohol testing policy would cover them should somebody refuse that test or somebody refuse to come in. And there was different reasons why people were, were coming or were refusing not to come in. Some were because they were in fear of being exposed to COVID, which was a very, and still is a very worrisome thing for a lot of individuals and in going out into public. But then there was other reasons that individuals would give that were just not acceptable reasons for not reporting for a random drug test. Now, some of these drug tests were also reasonable suspicion. <clears throat> One of the examples that I can give you was an individual that was conducting a team meeting. They had the whole team there, and they had the Zoom screen, the Brady Bunch screen up there where everybody was in the windows. And this supervisor was trying to understand why the individuals that he was talking to, they were all laughing. He said, you know, Chuck, I didn't do anything that was that I thought funny or anything that I had messed up on. And I was just thinking to myself, well, what the heck are they laughing at? And he said, not until I looked at the screen and I saw an individual that wasn't laughing, right behind him was a marijuana bong and it was still smoking. And he said that was what the employees were laughing about, was that this individual was actually getting high while they were in this meeting. And that was his question. We were in a meeting. This guy is obviously smoking in front of everybody. Isn't that enough for reasonable suspicion? And I would, I would think so. And he, his guidance at that point was, how do I go about getting this individual tested now that we know that they were doing this, especially during company time when we were talking on an, on an Internet connection with everybody else seeing that? One of the things that I advised him was if you're doing that on Zoom, all of these meetings are recorded. So you would have that on not only video, but also on audio. And you would be able to have somebody see exactly what you saw when you were participating or conducting this meeting. So that is one thing that a lot of people aren't understanding is that these meetings are being recorded automatically. Now, do you need to advise your employees of that? You probably should. You should have a disclaimer or you should be letting them know ahead of time that all of these meetings are being recorded for future ref reference or for people to refer back to uh, if they weren't able to attend the meeting, things like that. That's the main reason for these recordings. But we also have situations like this where it's being recorded and it's capturing things that are in violation of a company's policy. However, in this case, the company's attorneys decided that they did not want them to pursue having a reasonable suspicion drug test done because they felt that it would be singling this person out and they didn't know if it would hold up in court legally because this individual was inside his home even though he was participating in work-related duties. Now, is every attorney going to view it in that, in that sense? I don't know. But I can only tell you in the example that I gave you earlier that with random testing, I would think that it would be the same way that you could go ahead and do that. And that's what we've advised our clients of doing. Now, can somebody refuse to do that? Sure, they can refuse to do that. You're going to need to document the reason for the refusal 
and if that person was actually randomly selected is something that is going to be very important to show that this individual wasn't singled out or being picked on specifically among a whole group of people that are at home conducting company business while working from home. And this is something that we need to get in line with our own policies as far as how we're going to carry out these type of services for our clients because it's going to be commonplace. We have two major companies for us right now that have decided that they like the idea of their employees working from home because not only does it save them money on office space and other uh, money that they're spending, but their employees have said that they like the opportunity to work from home because they're able to be there with their family. It's given them more freedom. So there are some benefits that have come about this. And so some companies are now deciding, hey, we're going to close these offices that we've been spending all this money on reinvest that into the company, especially now with a lot of companies suffering monetarily because of this pandemic, and they're able to save money in that essence. So they're still going to be doing their drug testing. We need to come up with policies and procedures that probably address this specifically within their drug and alcohol policies, that even if they are working from home during work hours, they can still be required to submit to random drug testing. We have not had too many employers that have had any blowback on this as far as from their employees about coming in and being drug tested. So I don't think that there's going to be anything unless there ends up becoming a court case that goes forward that sets precedence and saying one way or another that could happen. All things are possible in this industry and we know that. The other thing that we're seeing quite a bit of is these individuals that are still submitting to these tests that are coming in are also bringing in synthetic urine. Now, our company before was catching a lot of people with synthetic urine, but I can tell you that it has increased dramatically for us, especially with what they were reporting earlier that we talked about with the American Substance Abuse Professionals talking about 60% of the refusals that they're getting are for pre-employment, and I can echo that. That is what we're seeing. So understand what the policies are for refusals to test with pre-employment that these individuals, if they come in and then they turn around and they walk out, you know, that's not a refusal to test. So understand what your refusals to test are for a pre-employment test. If the individual comes in and they submit to it and you turn it in and they fail or you end up catching somebody with synthetic urine and that's what most of these cases are going to be, I would assume, in seeing that 60% because there's not a lot of detail that's being uh, given as to what the circumstances were with the refusal for that. Um, but with us, I can tell you it would be because we caught them with synthetic urine and they just walked out the door. You still report that as a refusal to the test. And remember, we are not the ones that make the determination on a test being a refusal. We only report the circumstances and then it's up to the MRO and the DER to determine if this was indeed a refusal to test and then they carry on from that point on. So understand that we're still going to be having to deal with this aftermath as well. The number one thing to remember, however, is when you're doing this process with an individual, regardless of whether or not it's a pre-employment or if it's a random, especially with DOT, they need to understand that a refusal to test has the same consequences of failing a drug test. 
that the employee is immediately removed from a safety-sensitive duty and then must go through a DOT return-to-duty process. And that return-to-duty process requires the employee to be to meet with a DOT substance abuse professional for an evaluation and then them successfully, successfully completing that and complying with the recommendations of the SAP before they can return for a final evaluation with them. Once that's been completed, they have to go back to uh, their employer and they still have to pass a return to duty drug test before they can return to safety sensitive duty. And even then, after that, they're going to have follow up for a period of anywhere from a year to five years, depending on what the SAP has determined. And they're going to be observed tests and they're going to be spread out ra in, in a different order for this individual with follow-up testing to assure that they are abiding by what the SAP has put in place for them. So there's a lot to consider and a lot to understand and we still have that obligation of explaining this to these individuals whether like I said it's a pre-employment or somebody that's coming in and randomly testing. Now we have companies that are non-DOT that they expect the same thing to be uh, explain to their employees because it's covered in their policies and procedures the same way that they're going to be referred to an SAP due to their policy and they're going to be required to come back and successfully show that they have gone through that. Now, we have not had any of our non-DOT employees coming in having to do follow-up testing, uh, follow-up observed testing. But then again, it's going to depend on the employer and what their policies are concerning that and making sure that the employees are aware of this policy and procedure when testing. Our recommendation is always when you have these circumstances to write a memorandum of record. We're seeing more and more of these refusals to, be, to test being challenged by employees and a lot of it comes down to the testing at the facility and what their interpretation of the events were and what the collector's interpretation of the events were. So best practice is to always have a memorandum of record that's done in any of these circumstances so that when you are contacted and if you're contacted, everything is documented because let's face it, we do you know, hundreds of tests and to be able to remember one single test a year later is gonna be very difficult to do. However, if you have that memorandum of record to help refresh your memory, it's going to help you in not only remembering but identifying what happened that day and to be able to communicate with not only the employer but if there's any type of legal counsel or anybody else, you're going to be able to explain to them what happened. And it looks a lot better if you did a memorandum of a record that day than trying to do it weeks, months, or years later and trying to remember exactly what the events of that day were. Do it while it's fresh. I know it's a pain in the butt having to go and document some of these things, but you know what? In the end, you'll be so grateful that you decided to take that few minutes to document that incident because it's going to help you so much when trying to reflect back and to be able to give an accurate picture to whoever is investigating or asking you about that incident. Now, having said all of that and talking about all of this, I think that it's going to be an ongoing discussion that we're going to have for some time until we eventually get out of this pandemic or we end up changing the circumstances in which we operate. 
we're still going to be dealing with individuals that are going to be coming in and refusing to test. There's still individuals that are at home right now that still have not returned back to work. We have one company that uh, their DOT and their positions that they have, the company that they do, the work that they do rather, is one that they have not had a return to work since February of last year. So you're going to have clients like that that are, are still, they're not working, they're waiting to find out if they're going to be able to come back. You've taken them out of your pool probably at this pro, at this point as we have since they're not participating. The in, in many cases, they don't even know if these employees are going to come back when they do reopen or if they've gone and they've found other jobs, things like that. So we're going to have to come up with some processes and understand that there's still going to be individuals that are coming in. And this isn't something that's going to go away. We're going to continue to see these increases in not only the pre-employment, but the random drug testing. There's some individuals, because of things going on in their life, that they determine. I've, I've talked to a couple of these guys that have come in and said, you know what, I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to continue to smoke weed, and I'll just go get a different job that's going to allow me to do that. And unfortunately, in the day and age that we live in, it's not very hard for them to go find a company that the only thing they have to do is pass a pre-employment drug test, and that's the only time they're ever going to have to do that. And if they're banking on going in there and giving it to a collector that does not recognize the signs of synthetic urine, they're going to get away with it. And we know they do. We have c people come to us all the time and tell us that we're the first ones to ever catch them doing that. Or when they find out to what extent that we're doing the testing, they refuse to do the testing. We've had many stories, and I've shared many of them here on Clearing the Haze, in trying to teach you about this. And it's something that we're going to address at the Endesa Conference again in May, where I'll be speaking on how to catch cheaters. Because it's becoming, becoming so common, it's just something that is part of our industry that we're going to have to get used to knowing that it's it's there you're still going to have to look at people differently when they come in you're still going to have to go through your processes but if you follow them you'll be able to catch this as well so understand that this is just another way of us having to do business now now i hope today's topic has given you time to reflect and to look at your own processes and the things that you're dealing with in your area and in your locality and what you may be wanting to talk to employers about. Understand, this is the perfect time to have them review policies and procedures to be able to make adjustments that need to be made that make sense for that employer. So make sure you get on that. Make sure that we're paying attention to what's going on. Understand that there is a rise in, in individuals refusing to test, and when you start digging into the reasons why people may be deciding not to, it's going to be pretty apparent that a m big majority of this is the pandemic and things that individuals are going through personally and with their family. So having said that, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and those that would find this of interest and would find value in this topic Again, thanks, and we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. But until then, remember, it's your vision, it's your dream, and it's your business. Take care.